Hello and welcome back to the Brooklyn Beat Podcast. As always, I'm Justin Worsley coming at you from Nashua, New Hampshire. And with me is Nick in sunny Brooklyn, New York. Nick, how are you? I'm doing well. Awesome. This is a part five of our eight-part series. Today we are going to discuss the AFC South teams now that the uh, 2018 draft is over. And let's start with the Colts, who drafted two big some bitches up front with uh, Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith. Um, do they have a run game now with those two guards? Uh, it should, at the very least, it should definitely be better than last year. You know, um, I was actually surprised with the Smith pick. Not because I don't like him as a prospect. I actually do like him as a prospect. But Not as um, much as, for example, the Drake Holiday, who thinks he's better than Quentin Nelson, though, correct? Uh, was that Drake? Yes, that was Drake. Okay. Not uh, the rapper. Yeah. No. The mustachioed Ravens yeah. fan. <laughs> no, not as much as him, but, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm with the general consensus that Nelson's the best guard in the class, but I do think this is a really, really good guard class. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a little interesting that they went uh, guard, guard, but you know what? At the same time, uh, you have a, you know, great quarterback who's, you know, battled a shoulder injury the last couple of years and, you know, I, I don't think there's – I don't think it's a, it's a bad approach to try and get him some, you know, protection up front. You know, I think their offensive line profiles pretty well now, you know, between uh, Anthony Costanzo, who I think is a pretty underrated uh, left tackle. I think we both agree on that one. Yeah, he definitely um, he definitely is. He's not yeah. – he's not he's a cornerstone left tackle. He's not a stud. You know, he's probably never going to be an all-pro or anything like that. But you know what? That's – Pretty near as bad as his reputation is. Yeah, I, I, I never really got the idea that he was a – Terrible first round pick or something like that. Like, I, you know, he's a he's a quality left tackle, and there's not a lot of those in the league. So, you know, I think he, he's he's a solid player there at left tackle. And then, you know, you got the two guards this year, and you know they're going to be bookending each other. And you know, in the middle you have Ryan Kelly, you know, another guy that you use a first round pick on, and you know, uh, and he'll tackle. be uh, he'll be healthy this year too, which he wasn't last right. season, right? You know, and uh, I think that kind of held him back a little bit. So, you know, they have the makings of a pretty quality offensive line, which is something the Colts haven't been able to say for a very long time, and. Uh, at the very least, not in Andrew Luck's tenure whatsoever. So you know, yeah, not since probably Jeff Saturday and uh, Tarek Glenn were right when they had the Ryan Deems, uh, Ryan Lilja. You know, um, yeah. So you know, I, I, it was interesting. At the same time, you know, they had uh, three second rounders. You know, so they were able to. You know, I they had to four second risk. rounders. Did they have four second rounders? They had four second rounders. They oh. took uh, Darius Leonard, Braden Smith. Kamiko Ture and Taekwon Lewis. Oh wow! With those four picks, that's right? They did. All right, all right. So there you go. You know, um, <laughs> that's uh, that's a lot of draft capital around too. You know, I, I actually really like that. You know, underratedly, I love uh, early second round picks. I love them. They're, it's literally my favorite range in the draft. That's a weird thing to say, but I, just the way I see it, it is you know uh, everybody has consensus number ones that everybody thinks is going number one. And then just somehow it always happens. There's, you know, a handful of guys who fall out of round one for whatever reason, fit, you know, certain teams don't like him at certain spots or whatever the case is. And, you know, you kind of just pick up on a couple of those, you know, guys who probably should have been first rounders but weren't. So it's, I think it's a good place where they got some value. And, you know, they had some good early second round picks, you know, so they, you know, they beat up the offensive line. And then uh, they really did a lot of work uh, defensively too, you know. Um, I think they drafted something like three linebackers, which was, uh, a little crazy, but you know it, it's happened. We've seen it before. It took Darius. Well, I mean, Leonard. two of those guys also came in the seventh round, though, too. Yeah, um, I get. It. You know what it is when. But you have, but still, you're still getting depth that position. Yeah, when, when you have when you have all those extra picks, you know, it's okay to take shots on guys and stuff like that. You know, uh, they went. They took two defensive ends too. You know, so uh, you know uh, they're trying to they're trying to beef up their defense. You know, their defense hasn't been good in a few years either, and you know I I think I, I think it was a, a pretty good draft that Nelson was. Uh, about as safe a pick as you can make in the top 10. I thought they did good to get some value, you know, trading out of the, the three slot, you know, because realistically, I'm sure Nelson was on their short list at three anyway, you know. And Oh, I agree as well. So uh, in their eyes, they're probably looking at, you know, if they, they, in their eyes, I imagine there was probably only three guys they would have selected at three if they had a pick there. Probably was going to be either between Barkley, Nelson, or Chubb. And, you know, I, I'm sure that maybe, maybe they would have ended up <coughs> Chubb, but you know, Nelson was there, and, and they took him, and I think it was a pretty quality safe pick. I think worst-case scenario, because um, there was a very good chance that all three of those guys could have been gone. Um, Cleveland could have taken Chubb. The Giants already took Barkley. Um, Denver could have taken Nelson. Um, I think if, they, if their three guys were gone, 
I think they probably would have traded down again because this is a team who um, they're really devoid of a lot of talent and they really need as many draft picks as they can get. Right. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, but even with that, the crazy thing is had they traded down again, you know, you'd be looking at it and just say, you know, they got the third round, they got the third overall pick, they traded down, they got, they picked up three second rounders. And then if they traded back again, they'd have picked up probably another day two pick somewhere and, you know, who knows? Maybe another first round, depending on how far down they trade. He's very hard to drop. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I I think it worked out pretty well for them though, because uh, you know they were able to add a couple of second rounders, and then you know they were able to make a couple of picks, and they still got a guy who I'm sure was really high on the list anyway. So, full disclosure, obviously, for those who don't know, I'm a uh, I'm a Titans fan. So, I don't even I'm, I guess, in the rare situation where actually not even the rare situation because a lot of Titans fans kind of have this feeling. I don't hate the Colts. A lot of uh, Titans fans respected them mainly because they loved Peyton Manning over the years because he went to college in Tennessee. Right, yeah. But um, it sucks to me that they got Quentin Nelson because he's a badass motherfucker and he's a guy who uh, we're going to have to deal with for the next, you know, at the very least five years. Yeah. Um, I, 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 it's, always, it's always interesting to watch how the rest of the division drafts because, you know, for one, you, you hate when guys that you like go to teams that you don't because, you know, in your own way, you kind of got to cheer against the guys, you know, for your team's sake kind of thing, you know. So, um, and as I mentioned, too, during the um, – during our live draft podcast, um, Nelson's from my home area. Yeah. So there's an added extra incentive for me to root for him. And it, it, it sucks, man. Yeah, the same thing. <laughs> I get you. And this is, this is the kicker. Uh, this just clicked with me. Uh, if you guys remember Donnie Brown, the running back from UConn, who they took in the first round. Oh, man. Donnie Brown and Quentin Nelson actually went to the same high school. Obviously at different times. But, you know, two first-round picks by the Colts from the same high school is, is crazy in itself as well. Yeah. No, I, a little back to you. It's Red Bank Catholic in uh, Red Bank, New Jersey. Well, there you go. Shout-out to Red Bank Catholic. Um, what up? What surprises me, though, in this, in this draft class is they took two running backs between Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins. So do they not have confidence in, uh, in Marlon Mack? Or what do you, what do you make of that? I, you know – I think they do like Mac. They let uh, Gore walk. And I think they're just kind of at the position where they just want to kind of rebuild their running back position, you know. And uh, I, I don't think that maybe they don't look at Mac as a kind of, you know, lead back, uh, you know, bell cow back. And, you know, that's okay, honestly, in this NFL. You know, most teams generally don't really have that except for a handful of teams here and there. You know, they have a lot of guys who do a lot of things differently, you know. And, um, you know, Mac was – Okay, last year, you know, I, I don't think he, you know, he didn't set the world on fire or anything. But, you know, they went out and they added to the depth chart and, you know, they added competition. And, you know, you, you see what works with, with who and who's better and who's worse and, you know, what part of the offense some might click and stuff. You know, realistically, you know, with, with somebody like Andrew Luck, I feel like the better your quarterback is, uh, the more the more flexible you become at running back. Because the reality is, is that, Whoever you're playing at quarterback, you're going to be running everything through them anyway. Even if it's running the ball, you're going to be relying on them to know when it's time to run the ball, you know, whether it's out of audibles or out of stuff like that. So, you know, even like we saw with Peyton Manning, you know, uh, when he was there, they had a ton of running backs, you know, especially after Edge left. And, you know, they had a die and show you a die. Yeah, a die got drafted high. So, you know, that's that, that, that place to that. But, you know, they had guys like uh, James Mungro, Dominic Rhodes. Dominic Rose, was trying, who was trying to think of. Yeah. Um, they, Donnie Brown. Donnie, well, Donnie Brown. Yeah, I mean, that was a bad one. Donnie Moose. <laughs> but, you know, like, they had all these guys, and they just kind of, you know, worked around it because, you know, you kind of rely on your quarterback to just do uh, what, you know, what you need him to do to kind of read it. So, you know, I, I think they're going to be plugging these guys in and, and seeing what's what and whoever's, you know, playing at – you know, it's going to kind of be a hot hand approach. You know, that's how I see it. Um. I actually wonder, too, uh, I think it was revealed right before the draft that uh, – or actually, no, I'm sorry, it was revealed shortly after. So I'm assuming the Colts knew about it beforehand. Marlon Mack had shoulder surgery during the offseason. I uh, did. Okay. So, I mean, listen, it's, it's, not, it's a good position to get that, that especially late in the, in the draft, you know, when you're not really using uh, premium picks on, on the guys. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, like – so yeah, it's, it's worth taking a shot. You know, you, you get a couple of guys. Hines is a guy I, I kind of like, too, to be quite honest. You know, um, but I, I don't think he's ever going to be a bell cow either. You know, I just look at all these guys as guys who could just, you know, make things work kind of thing, you know. So, 
so my whole good. my whole philosophy when it comes to running backs is um, if you're from a team philosophy is you kind of get to you get to two schools. You can be a team who has a bell cow running back who's a three down back who can operate as a um, as a pass catcher as a pass blocker and a do it all kind of guy. Jack, you know. A do it all guy. And that's really the ideal, and that's, and that's a rare breed of position. And when you don't have that, you go with the committee approach. But I think the ideal is to have that do-it-all guy, and the reason why I say that is because, for example, LeGarrette Blount, um, if he enters a game, you're not expecting them to do a swing pass to Jason Short. Um, you're expecting something up the middle. You're not expecting a sweep or anything like that. Um, or a guy like Reggie Bush, you're looking for more of a pass game, more of an outside kind of stuff. You're not looking for something between the tackles. Right, yeah. You, you get a guy who, you know, get a girl who can do both. You get a guy who can do all this stuff. Um, <laughs> it, it keeps the defenses a little bit more honest, and they're, they're stuck guessing because they don't know what you're going to do with that running back. No, as, I mean, as I, yeah, to, I, I agree. Listen, in a perfect world, you have a, you know, a lead back who does it all on all downs. And, uh, in the perfect world, you have Saquon Barkley. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in, yeah, in a perfect world, you know, you get a guy who – a prospect like that, a guy that you feel like you can leave on the field all three downs, and uh, you know you don't really give a defense an advantage to guess on what you're doing, you know, in the case and whatever the case is. So you know, I, I I get that, and there's definitely appeal to that. And you know what, I'm not against teams trying to find that guy. I just don't think that it's worth using a first round pick, so you know, especially a high first round pick, on trying to find that guy because you know there's a bust rate in every position in the NFL. You know, so it's not to say that the idea that uh, you know a guy drafted in the top five can't bust that running back because, you know, he's a, a can't-miss prospect. My thing is, is, like, there's a lot of can't-miss prospects in the top ten that miss, you know? Hey, how's uh, how's Trent Richardson doing, by the way? Uh, yeah, exactly. As if it's the only one. You know, even, even recently, you know, like, you see guys, like, and this isn't to knock on them and stuff like that, but, like, all right, uh, London Fournette, right? I like London Fournette personally as a prospect, so I'm not knocking him right here, but he played one season. In his one season, he ran for 3.9 yards a carry which is not very efficient. Now, and he was banged up a little bit too, which is kind of the problem him coming out. You know, he, he struggled with his ankle issues and some foot issues and stuff like that. You know, at, at times he did produce. And, you know, there's, there's no knocking him. But there was and a- those times where when I was playing against him in fantasy, for the record. <laughs> yeah, of course, always. But, you know, even there was times where, you know, uh, he would be out and his backups were productive. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure TJ Yeldon averaged more yards per carry than he did. Now, it was... I would imagine it was on um, far fewer carries, so I get that part. But, you know, you look at that and you think to yourself, like, okay, that's what they got with their fourth overall pick. And whatever, they went to the AFC Championship game, so you're not going to say it didn't work out. But at the same time, you know, Kareem Hunt led the NFL in rushing yards last year, and he got drafted round three. You know, uh, Alvin Kamara was a an all-pro running back last year, you know. and he, Jordan Howard was a fifth-rounder. Jordan Howard was a fifth-rounder. You know, like, it's Dallas just, took Ezekiel Elliott over uh, Jalen Ramsey. Right. You know, like, and, and if you ask me if I was building a team right now, who would I rather have? I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear I'd rather have Jalen Ramsey. And that's not a knock on Zeke. I think, I think Zeke's a fantastic player. You know, I'm not knocking him at all. But, not, you know, I, I can get a running back who's, you know, 75% of that and, you know, still be pretty good. You know, like I don't – And beef up at other, other positions right, too. Right, exactly. I don't think I can get that same – I don't think I can get a quarterback who's 75% of that as easy. You know, so, I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to, right? positional value, you know, so. I mean, yeah, uh, exactly. At the end of the day, running back is still an important position, but it's nowhere near as important as it used to be, um, yeah. especially in an age where people are finally realizing that the lifespan of running back is short. They're realizing that um, you can work with a committee and still be successful, especially yeah. considering what the Eagles have done over the past year, what New England Absolutely. did in the Super Bowl with four different running backs. Even to a lesser extent, um, even a team like Atlanta, they have two running backs. They're both solid, and they both, uh, you know, get the best out of the offense for Atlanta. Um, To verify your stats, TJ Yeldon had 49 carries and a 5.2 yard per carry average. Uh, Fournette had 268 carries and a 3.9 average. And Chris Ivory had 112 carries and a 3.4 average. Yeah, Chris Ivory had kind of a rough go at it. And, um, and it should be noted that the Jaguars' line is not exactly filled with like all pro studs. Either. No, no, no. It's it's not a great line, and that, that's absolutely fair to you know to mention and stuff too. You know, uh, speaking of uh, the Jaguars, uh, I think it's a good segue into the Jaguars draft class. But before we go on, I do want to shout out Alex Berry, big Colts fan, friend of the program, friend of the program. Yeah, friend of the program. Um, special guest, uh, maybe one day. <laughs> maybe one day. Uh, so the Jaguars. the Jaguars made a really surprising pick to me, um, mainly because 
they attacked the position that they are stacked at, which is defensive tackle. They took uh, the caveman, Taven Bryan, <laughs> number 29 overall. And mind you, they already have on their defensive line Malik Jefferson. Um, they acquired um, uh, Marcel Darius during the year. Marcel Darius, sorry. Thank you. Uh, uh, you know, last year they, the trade deadline. They, they still have uh, Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, they still have uh, Dexter Fowler. Third, third Dante Fowler. Pick. I'm sorry, Dante Fowler. Excuse me, third overall pick. You know, uh, they, they, and yeah. we haven't even mentioned Calais Campbell yet, who is the right. best guy of all. Of them. Right, the last year he was, you know, and, and they went out and they had another guy. You know, I, I would say I, I probably wouldn't have gone in that direction. At the same time, keep in mind who's running the show. It's Tom Coughlin. You know, uh, Tom, yeah. Tom Coughlin won. Build the trenches. You know, build the trenches. Tom Coughlin won two Super Bowls with, you know, just trying to find places for guys on the offensive line, on the defensive line. You know, like there was times where the Giants literally had. They were four deep at defensive end, and they were zero deep at linebacker. You know? Yeah, so, I mean, at one time, the Giants had their roster. O.C. Yiminyora, Justin Tuck. Um, they had Strahan together one time, and then when they didn't have Strahan anymore, they had um, JPP. Yeah, and they also had uh, Matthias Kiwanuka, who was also a first-round pick. Kiwi, yeah. yeah you know, so, but his biggest flaw was that his nickname was Kiwi. Uh, uh, he was, yeah. that was. That was his biggest flaw. Um, yeah, so, you know, like, so I understand that the, the logic behind it. Uh, I probably would have gone in a different direction. I'm not against taking D-linemen a lot. You know, if you can hit on them, they're, they're, they're really, really valuable to have. Especially if you can have pressure coming from the inside and have pressure coming from the outside. You know, it, it, listen, the, easy, the easiest path to winning games, at least defensively, is with a quarterback on his back. Uh, it's the easiest path to win games. You know, there's more than one way to skin a cat kind of thing. You know, but that's the easiest way to go about it. You know, you, you can get a bunch of guys who can cover for days, you know, you, you can get uh, safeties who can cover. You can get linebackers who can who can cover and make impact and run. You got like Luke Hilke, kind of guy, that kind of guy. But at the end of the day, the, the quickest way to do it, bring the heat. If you knock a guy in his ass, um, I mean, it factors in a couple of ways. First of all, he's going to get flustered. Um, yeah. He's going to make mistakes, especially if – I mean, if he has a tackle who isn't good and um, is not protecting his blindside very well and you can get a guy who can just disrupt that all day. Um, that works wonders for you because now he's rushing his throws. Now he's um, stepping out of the pocket, uh, sometimes even unnecessarily. Yeah, um, you know, it causes chaos. I mean, that, that's kind of yeah. that's, that's it. You know, and it's, these guys are they're agents of chaos. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, just like the Joker. That's right. Yeah, here's no, it, here's my card. It's true. That's you know, like so. I, that's why while I probably wouldn't have gone in that direction, I mean, you know, I uh, I get it. You know, like it's not. I, I understand, I understand where, you know, where he's coming from. So, you know, I was a little surprised by the pick. Uh, I, I thought, you know, maybe they would have gone uh, maybe something offensively, you know, considering how good the defense was last year. But, hey, you know, if, if they had a really high, high value on Brian and they didn't love anything else, you know, I, I actually thought uh, before free agency, uh, an offensive lineman was kind of like the easy pick for Jacksonville. But then they went out, you know, and they signed Andrew Norwell, which I, I actually didn't see, you know, coming, but, yeah, they went on to Andrew Norwell, made him the highest-paid guard in NFL history and stuff like that. So, Coughlin's trade just fleeced the uh, Giants in that one. Got a little payback. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, so remember when uh, yeah. remember Big Blue Wrecking Crew said that uh, that was a done deal? Yeah, who was it? Tony Pauline? I think uh, I think everybody in the group thought it was a done well, deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, listen, whatever. That was that's what was being reported and stuff too. So, you know, but at, at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to. Are you going to take a Are you going to take a guard round one when you already took a guard? You know they took Cam Robinson. Uh, I think it was early round two last year. Yeah, uh, that's correct. You know, so you know you you, you want to spread out your uh, you want to spread out your uses and stuff like that too. So I, I think that's kind of what ended up happening. And um, you know they, they took they took Brian and I, I you know it was kind of weird because this off season they had a lot of money. You know they had a lot of a lot of money still available for agency, and, which amazes me because Jacksonville feels like every year they're big yeah I know free agency I know. It's crazy. and. I don't know if it's the lack of property tax or the fact that it's just a sunny uh, year-round place or even the fact that maybe a lot of these guys are just from this area. But Jacksonville is a, has been quietly a very attractive free agency destination. Uh, you know, I, I think most of it just has to do with, with the cash, you know, I mean, which is fine. I don't judge anybody for Well, it. yeah, the, especially when you're not good and you're just paying the guy the most money in the market. Yeah, you know, it, those guys are going to take it. Uh, who was it? Um, didn't Alex Mack sign there? Uh, until uh, Cleveland matched it, I think he signed there too, right? A couple years I, ago. I, I think you might be I, correct I, on that. Yeah, one. I, I think that's what it was. So you know, it's. Could you imagine the football purgatory you must have been in, where your choices were either Cleveland or shitty Jacksonville at the time? <laughs> you God, know what, though, I, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure that he was able to use 
uh, that contract to get out of Cleveland because I think it had like it, they had to match the contract, which is like a three year deal, but I think it had like a one year out or something something along those lines. But I'm pretty sure that's what helped him uh, leave. Which, hey, whatever, you got to pay me that much money to leave. All right, that's fine. I, I can live with this. Well, stuff. he has a secret world though too that we can't forget either. The secret world of Alex Mack. That's, um, you know what? So I think our the... viewers might be a little too young for that reference. <laughs> Some of them. <laughs> well, for you guys who don't know that, we're on the uh, older millennial scale. So yeah. if you don't if you don't know what's going on, then fuck you. <laughs> uh, uh, so what are they going on? Uh, I was going to say with their second round pick was kind of interesting for me. Uh, you know, they took uh, DJ Chark out of uh, LSU, LSU, and um, you know LSU's uh, produced a couple of decent wide receivers uh, the last few years. Uh, Ruben Randall not being one of them. Uh, <laughs> so um, pretty sure that was Eli Manning's fault. Uh, but you know. I thought DJ Chark was an interesting move. That was what I was going to say, though, about free agency. You know, they had so much money, and they, they still do. You know, they're not really hurting for gas space. And they, they let Allen Robinson, you know, go, in, in a sense. You know, like, they didn't, uh, they didn't really, you know, work too hard to bring him back. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, he had basically missed the whole entire season last year. But at the same time, he had gotten hurt early, and he should have been – you know, pretty healthy. He should, he should be good to go for next year. I, I just thought it was it was weird to kind of uh, give up on him so quick, you know, following the injury, especially after the couple of years that he had before. You know, he, he was emerging. You know, he was emerging with a quarterback who probably wasn't playing as well. I mean, it was a lot of garbage time stats too. But, you know, I, I was surprised that they let him go. Uh, I think they um, cut. I think they're counting on Justin Blackman to return because he's yeah. still on their roster technically. He is technically, right? Man, that's, that's another guy. Oh, that's a guy. Um, you know, so uh, I was surprised to let him go, especially with the uh, talent that they have there at wide receiver. You know, it's not really – I know they kept Marquise Lee, which I wasn't a huge fan of. I would have rather – But they also uh, got rid of Alan Hearns, though, also. Yeah, I, well, Hearns, I know that he had kind of fallen out of favor last few years. So that I understand. And he was also paid more than he, he was really worth, though, right, too. But, I mean, I would argue Marquise Lee was paid more than he was worth. I think he got something like – he got $18 million guaranteed, I think, for four years, and it was up to – Something like $40 million up to him. I, mean, I don't know if he'll get that, but, you know, I, I just didn't see – I would have rather paid a little more to keep Allen Robinson, you know. And they also poached within their division as well, taking um, the receiver from the Colts. Uh, Dante um, Moncrief. Dante Moncrief. He's, he, he's a guy I, I've always kind of liked and I always kind of expected more out of. But Yeah, no, she vetoed my trades last year because I got him. I did, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, the, uh, the Breeze trade. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that makes sense. But I, but I, you know, I wasn't blowing smoke. I did, I do, I do like him. The only problem is, is that my issue with him is, you know, you played with Andrew Luck for four years. Well, parts of four years. I'm not gonna put the whole thing on him. But even when he played, he was just, just something missing there. You know, like I, I think he's he's a good red zone guy. But yeah, I don't see him ever really being a between the twenties, you know, pro, you know, consistent producer. So I think that's kind of gonna be the uh, the issue for him. You know, but that worked though in Indy also because the between the twenties guy was always been T. Y. Hilton. Right. No, I, I understand, but I, I feel like if he could have been more, then Andrew Luck would have used him as more. You yeah. Because I, 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 to me, uh, if you if you have a hard time producing with you know certain guys, know, like if yeah. you can't produce with Tom Brady or if you can't produce with Aaron Rodgers, whatever the case is, like you know, it kind of it's kind of like what, what do you you know, it's not gonna get better from here, you know, so. That was that was another one. So, yeah, you know, um, I feel like I feel like the Jaguars' receiving core as a whole, though, is like it's a lot of guys who guys you look at them and you see them as like you know upside potential talent, but not all those guys are going to reach that level. And there's a very good shot that none of those guys can reach that level between Chark, between Keelan Cole, uh, between Marquise Lee, between D.D. Westbrook, who promised 200 yards in his first game and then was nowhere near that. <laughs> they, they, honestly, they all look like guys you know what i mean like like here's a guy and there's a guy and here's a guy and that's the jags wide receiver core you know chark listen uh, athletically chark's kind of impressive so you know maybe he's a guy that kind of you know pans out second round pick and stuff like that maybe bortles you know improves his play a little bit so you know we'll see with jacksonville maybe 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 um I will say, though, too, uh, a guy that I have always been a big fan of, and I'm happy to see that the guy finally got his life together, has been Austin Safari and Jenkins. And I've liked him since uh, his days in Washington University. Yeah. Um, so he was, a, uh, he was a signing for the, for the Jaguars this offseason. Um, he's a guy who I see as a guy who has red zone potential. Um, I don't think he's really reached his level of play as a blocker, and I 
big at this point. He's probably never going to. Right. Yeah. Like, he's never going to be, like, you know, he's not going to be an Antonio Gates tight end. Um, He's he's not going to – he's never going to reach the level of competency that I thought he would ever reach. Uh, But I think at the very worst, he's a stopgap for a year or so. Yeah. No, I mean, I I can see that. I I think there will be some value there, you know. Uh, They had more – Mercedes Lewis there for a really long time, and it looked like, and, uh, it looked he's like, finally gone. It looked like he was staying, but I guess he's finally gone. Yeah, you know. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I think their 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 hopes is just to be a little more efficient offensively. You know, I, I think they know that their calling call is going to be the defense. You know, they're still going to be Saxonville. You know, so I know that uh, they were looking at Hayden Hurst at one point also. Uh, for t- yeah, I mean the tight end. I I, I, w- I would guess that after signing Jenkins, they probably wouldn't have gone tight end round one, but. I wouldn't have guessed they would have won D-line round one anyway, so I'm cooler, I know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Tom Coughlin for you. Yeah. Uh, speaking of value, um, I'm a big fan of their third-round pick, which is uh, Alabama safety Ronnie Harrison. Yeah, that was, that was, that was um, a good one. That was an interesting one. They had, that was, um, like, at the end of round three also, and he was a guy who uh, most people saw him going, like, early second, sometimes even creeping into the first, which I don't think would have been likely, but I thought – at least he was going to go in the second round, and yeah, I, that I didn't, didn't happen. I didn't love him as a first rounder, uh, but I, I did think that he was a, you know, mid to late second round pick. You know, I was I was surprised to see him last almost till day till day three. You know, I, I didn't think that that's what he was going to make it. But you know, it's funny because they don't, I don't, you know, I don't. I look at the defense. I don't think they really had a huge need uh, for strong safety. But they're the kind of team that you know they just they see guys that are talented and they think to themselves, you know, let's just. Go for it. You know, that, I think I'm pretty sure their uh, starting strong safety last year was uh, Barry Church. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, you know, Church is, listen, he's not a superstar. Never going to light it up for you, but he's a He's serviceable. Player. He's serviceable. And you know what? With with the rest of the secondary, the way it is, you know, after signing A.J. Bowie and uh, Tashawn Gibson, who I'm actually a fan of, you know, and then obviously, of course, Jalen Ramsey, not to be forgotten. If, like, you know, like I said, I forgot who we were talking about, but if that's the uh, worst. Ronnie Harrison. No, 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 I know what we're talking about. No, I'm saying I was saying the example. If that's the worst that your line has to offer, or that's Very the worst true. that your secondary has to offer, you know, you're not you're not doing that bad, you know. And that's kind of how I see Barry Church. So, you know, Harrison's there. You know, I, they, they probably have an out on Church after this year. Maybe they look at Harrison to kind of come in and take over. So, you know, I thought that was a good move. I like that move for them. Um, and I think probably one of the reasons why he may have slipped a little bit is because he really isn't. Um. He's not great as far as man coverage. He's he's decent in the zone. He can take on your bigger guys and probably match up with your tight ends. Um, I see him really at the end of the day being your hard hitting strong safety who can blitz or even functioning as a um, that like float linebacker that some safeties do now. Yeah, you know I, I can also see that. Uh, I think who was it? Pozlozny retired this year. Yes, Paul Puzzles need to retire. Puzzles need to retire this year. You know what it is? When you have a really, really stout D-line, they can play that one in the past, it kind of gives you a lot of flexibility in the back seven. And that's kind of what the Giants did, you know, in uh, 2011 particularly. You know, they were able to put their four guys on the field, and they were able to – the Giants' defense in 2011 really wasn't overly talented, especially after injuries kind of hit them too. So they were kind of mixing and matching. I mean, they had a guy who was uh, a, a high school teacher in December starting a middle linebacker for the Super Bowl. But what they were able to do is they were able to try and just put their best seven guys kind of on the field, you know. So I could see Harrison kind of playing that that hybrid, you know, linebacker, safety, near the line of scrimmage, off, you know, off the line of scrimmage kind of thing, position for them uh, in a lot of ways too. I could see them playing three safeties, you know. Uh, Tom Qualfin played, uh, you know, coach when, when they had three safeties and stuff like that. So I could see that being used too. Especially in uh, like five receiver sets as well. Right. Um, let's move on to Houston. So Houston had an interesting draft because they did not have a single pick until round three. Uh, if you guys, if you guys don't know, they traded their first round pick to the Browns in the trade that ultimately got them to Sean Watson. They traded their second round pick to the Browns to basically rid themselves of the albatross of a contract that was Brock Osweiler. Um, so they had three picks in the third round. Um, they took Stanford safety, Justin Reed first. Oh, so they took Martinez Rankin a tackle, uh, their second pick. So let's talk about Rankin for a second. Um, 
I'm not a fan of Rankin at all. Yeah, I'm not sure I was going to say. <laughs> I know, so I know we you... can officially declare ourselves an anti-Martinez Rankin podcast. Uh, you know what? I, I don't hate him, but I, I do kind of have a hard time seeing him stick at tackle in the NFL. Uh, um, I think he's going to be a center at the NFL level. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could see him work on the inside somewhere. I could see him being worked at guard. I don't really see him being able to play survive at tackle in the NFL. So I think we're kind of in agreement on that. I, I, I could see him play guard, too, at some points, depending on you know where he ends up and stuff like that. But He yeah. may just be a swingman, ultimately. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he could be. You know, he could be the kind of guy that you just kind of you know, find where he fits and whatever the case is. So, I mean, I could see that, too. You know, but, um. He's got – he's not a bad run blocker. Um, he has issues as far as leverage. He doesn't get low enough, uh, which playing center and playing guard will probably help his hand in the dirt. Right. Um, his, his whole appeal to me, and this is what like, kind of like annoys me a little bit, is he's got, he's got long arms and he packs a really good punch on contact, yeah. which is – it's a good trait to have as a tackle. But if that's your only yeah, trait – Yeah, that, that can be your only card in the deck. Yeah, and, yeah. If, and if you're slow, especially in the NFL, like, you can't – if, if you're a slow tackle, like, you better have something else to make up for it. Like, Orlando Brown can absolutely eat you up in a bull rush. So, oh, yeah. he, has, he has a redeeming quality. Yeah. I don't see that redeeming quality with Martinez Rankin. Um, and even I, – I don't know. Like, I'm, I, I really think his best position is center. But I've also always seen him as a guy who really is just, as an overall, just a very, very overrated prospect. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I think he probably went about where he should have gone. Um, so I, that that I could see. Uh, the other pick that I that they made that I uh, liked and hated, but for selfish reasons, was uh, the first pick actually. You know, uh, Justin Reed. Justin Reed. Uh, I was I was a fan of Justin Reed. I thought I could have seen him go round one. I don't. I wouldn't have taken him round one. I but I did like him uh, late. They late they late round two. Excuse me, I should say. I thought he was. I thought it was a good value. And to be quite honest, I was hoping the Giants got lucky they took Lorenzo Carter, uh, the first linebacker, uh, you know, in the first third round position that they had. If Reed had fallen to them, I would have really, really liked that pick. I think I realize now that it probably would have pissed me off even more because I don't think they would have taken Reed anyway because they were <laughs> they were pretty pretty confident in the uh, PJ Hill pick. But I really liked Reed. I thought it was a really good pick. I thought they got good value. I actually had Reed uh, ranked higher uh, than Edmonds. Edmonds went round one and Reed went round three. And, you know, it just kind of shook out like that. I, I would I would like to say that it had nothing to do with his brother and, you know, his protests and stuff like that. I don't know for sure. I don't want to speculate that that's what it Oh, you know what? I just realized that Eric Reed is uh, Justin Reed's brother. I Yes. They I was not aware of that until now, so thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I would kind of hope that that didn't have anything to do with it. You know, crazy things have happened. But I actually re- I re- really liked Reed. I thought they got good value there for him. Well, was Justin Reed did was Justin Reed kneeling during the anthems in college? Mm, not that I know of. Or even better question: Do college players even have the um, freedom to do that? I would be surprised I, the NCAA didn't let that happen. I mean, these these kids can't even get paid to to play a sport where they make tens of millions of dollars. But that's another story for another time. Um, <laughs> I think another another good value pick that Houston had uh, is. Duke Ejafor from Wake Forest, who yeah. was a guy, another guy who uh, kind of slipped a little bit. He did. Uh, you know, I, I saw him go a lot on day two, and I was surprised that – not only surprised that he didn't go on day two, but I was surprised that he went that – slid that far down uh, to round six. Yeah, round six, dude. You 177 know, I, I, overall. I, I figured when I saw him – so, you know, usually after each day, I like to look at, you know, the prospects that are still on the board and stuff like that. And he was one of those guys that I saw, you know – Round th- you know round four round five I figured he'd be gone in the first twenty picks or so you know twenty five picks but he you know he he really slipped down a lot further than uh, than I thought and I, I I thought they got really pretty good value with him you know at, at you know in round six um I personally blame um the linebacker from Seattle from Wake Forest <laughs> why do you do that. For putting a bad taste in the Wake Forest mouths for draft scouts in the future. <laughs> Aaron Curry. Aaron Curry, thank you. I don't know why I keep reading some players lately. <laughs> it's, uh, it's draft I'm season. Sure I look at too many to guys in the future, not guys in the past. I'm, I'm sure that wouldn't have anything to do with it. But, yeah, I mean, I, don't know, I'm sure, I, I, I honestly, I, I hate that whole thought process. That, like, 
oh, you know, these players. USC has never produced a good quarterback. Yeah, USC never produced a good quarterback. Like, I don't, you know, Joe, Joe Smith from, from, you know, big state and, you know, the two different people. Like, I don't, what do you mean you, they don't produce, like, they're two completely different people. Just because a player was good from that position doesn't necessarily mean the next player to come out of that position is going to be good anyway. You know, and like, not even that. Like, look at from, like, like Penn State running backs. Penn State running backs are terrible, generally. Kajana Carter? Kajana Carter. You know, Larry Johnson, who people try to look at as a success story, literally had, what, a good, two good year, years. year and a half? Not even two good years. He basically played half the season one year when Priest Holmes went down. And then he beat his wife like an asshole. Uh, yeah, and then he did that too, even though that's kind of the reason running back. But, yeah, like, you know, so you turn around and you say – well, he's not good for this school. This school. I hate. I hate that process. That's that's and, late. And related to this also, and this is what pisses me off specifically with USC. Sam Dartle did not play for the same regime that Carson Palmer played for, or Liner played for, or yeah, of course. Um, they're so far removed from the Pete Carroll era, and people like they want to hang on to this whole notion that like, or even like Mark Sanchez and Don David Booty, like that. Booty is perpetually going to happen, but I mean, and not for nothing, there really aren't that many schools that are like quarterback guru schools. Um, yeah, Florida is has been horrible in their careers at quarterbacks. Uh, Ohio State hasn't really produced one. Believe it or not, I'm pretty sure the school with the most Super Bowl winning quarterbacks is Alabama. They have three. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was that was a weird one. That's and a, that's a, two of them are Bart Starr and Joe Namath, who won the first three Super Bowls. Or uh, Bart Starr, yeah. Um, so just go look at that, right? I mean, yeah, it's no, nah, I, I agree. I, especially quarterbacks, like other positions, I can kind of, like I know Wisconsin, like DBU, yeah, like DBU, like I know Wisconsin's kind of got a reputation for producing for a lineman. lineman, which is you know, and and I, I think Wisconsin and Iowa, I was thinking Iowa, but uh, I think Wisconsin kind of has that a little bit too, and. You know, they do, like, yeah, exactly. The There's, like, Bible Belt states. Yeah, well, Bible Belt states, exactly. But, you know, like, those I'm a little okay about because it's kind of, like, a just a little – it's just a little different makeup-wise, you know, like. But just quarterbacks, like, there's so many more variables that go into scouting quarterbacks and it doesn't, you know, scouting and projecting everybody else that I don't even think that you can realistically use. You know, like, they'll never be a quarterback you. That's the way I see it. Like, they'll never – There's never be, like, a quarterback guru or, like, a guy who, like – yeah, you know, spins his yarn into goal and makes every quarterback who comes out of the system a uh, a pro ready quarterback. Yeah, so I, that's that's another thing that kind of bugs me. But and especially true with the fact that um, I mean, a lot of these schools like they operate spread offenses now, or like these fucking pop gun um air raid offenses. Yeah, these air raid. I mean, the spreads, the pop gun. Like they're not running real pro offenses anymore, you know. And they're not. I mean, like, the whole thing too is that... tough because you know what? Honestly, I, I can't really kill colleges for it because at the end of the day, you know. Their job is to college, win games for the college. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of college coaches, like, their job is to win game and keep Boosters happy. Like, it's not like if they're less prepared for the NFL because of it, that's just kind of an occupational hazard. I mean, at the same time, you know, if you're a quarterback prospect and you're hoping to make it to the NFL and become good at the NFL, you know, you should probably take that into consideration, you know. So that's definitely something you should, you should consider. But, yeah, I mean, you know. If I'm a, if I'm a five-star guy – at a, as a quarterback prospect, and mind you, I'm speaking from the perspective of I am the most inaccurate thrower ever, and <laughs> my arm probably reaches, like, at its best, maybe 45 to 50 yards. Right. Um, and that's on a good day. Good win but I'm, I'm going to look for a school that runs a pro-style offense because, to me, and I know that this trend's been really bucked lately, um, that gives me the best ticket to not only being a high pick in the NFL, but succeeding on the NFL level itself because you're learning how to read defenses. You're learning uh, how to operate from under center. Um, you get more of a complex game. I feel with that also. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I, I just, sometimes I think they, they, they need to decide on would they rather uh, look good and not, you know, learn as much or would you rather, you know, probably learn more, but maybe not have the flashier numbers. If things get hurt your draft stock, maybe people are more afraid and stuff, but you know, I, I kind of get it. So, um, since we're still talking about Duke Ejiofor, kind of, um, I mean, he's a guy who, I mean, he was a versatile guy in Wake Forest. I mean, he played at the edge for first and second down. He kicked inside for third down. Um, he's not a guy who really has an explosive first step, which I know um, scouts like salivate over. But he's got a repertoire of moves um, as a pass rusher 
to make this like a really, really good, like sneaky value pick. Um, he's not a guy whose tape is going to like, you know, make your jaw drop. Yeah. But he's a guy who every other bit looks a part of a, a guy who's going to be an NFL player. No, I, I, I kind of agree with you. Yeah. But only kind of that. Only kind of. Um, so, last but not least, we're going to talk about uh, the Titans draft. Certainly so the Titans least. only have four picks, and all four of them, to me, look like they're going to be Hall of Famers. <laughs> oh, that's hopeful. Um, <laughs> so, if, if one of them is a Pro Bowler, you'd be happy. Um, so, John Robinson loves moving his picks around. Um, and it's a blessing and a curse. Um, I think he may have moved a little bit too much in this draft. Right. But... At the end of the day, um, the guy I was really – and, again, I'm a Titans fan for disclosure. The guy I really wanted was Harold Landry. And the fact that we were able to get him around round two uh, makes me ecstatic because it wasn't even that. It's that – and I should, have, I should have really known this. I was just – I guess that sense a little too egotistical to admit it in my mock draft. I really think Rashawn Evans was their guy and their top guy, which is why they traded up to get him. Right. But they got Evans uh, to replace Avery Williamson – and now that Harold Landry, who is going to operate a year rotating between Derek Morgan and Brian Arakbo, before both Morgan and Arakbo hit free agency, um, they may bring one of them back, but they're obviously not going to bring both of them back. Um, but Landry, I think, has that. He's not a stout run defender, but God damn, do I love him as a pass rusher. Though. No, I mean, you listen, you know, I, like I was telling you before, you know, with, with Jacksonville, there's value in, in, in just having that pass rush juice. You know, not everybody's going to be a great two-way player. You know, like, look at OC. OC was a he can go both ways. Yeah, he, he can go both ways. But OC, the fu- the, fu- the, st- the sack strip king is OC. Yeah, I mean, that, but you know what? Like his entire career, he was at his best. He was a probably average to below average one stopper. You know, that, that's at his best. You know, and then as he got as he got into his later years, he really started falling off as a one stopper. But man, he could he could bend, bend that bend that edge and get around the corner and then get after the quarterback. Bend that knee. You know, and. There's a lot of value in that, you know. And if that's what Landry becomes, man, yeah, that's that's awesome, you know. Like, uh, it's it's a matter of finding the balance, you know. Like, you're gonna you're gonna need guys who, and I, I think Tennessee's, you know, front front line is gonna be okay against the run. I, I don't think they're gonna get run over and stuff like that. So, especially in his first year, you know, if you could just kind of use Landry and obvious pass rushing situations stuff like that, I think uh, I think you get a productive year out of them, you know. And and uh, Rashawn Evans is a guy who I think is also gonna help against the run. You know, so uh, so what if Landry's not the biggest run stopper? It's not a big deal. It's okay. The rest of the team could do that. Let this guy come in. Let this guy chase some quarterbacks down. You know, let this guy make some plays. Yeah. Um, I will say the one guy I really just don't know much about in this draft class is uh, Dane Crookshank. Crookshank. Crookshank? I, I, th- I think so it's Crookshank because it sounds like the uh, cat from uh, Harry Potter. He's a crook and he shanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, he's – um. He's actually uh, – one thing I do know about him, he's actually a very, very good athlete. Uh, so, you know, he's kind of a – I see him as a special teams guy early. Uh, I could see him, you know – Probably try, the third safety. Yeah, probably the third safety. Maybe try and uh, work on, the, you know, athleticism and, and see where he is. You know, he's got pretty good size. I think he's like 6'1", 210-ish, in that, you know, that kind of range. And um, I, I'm pretty sure that he played cornerback. He played a little safety. So, he's a versatile defender. Uh, he's probably not ready to be a full-time NFL player yet. But listen, you know, there's tools there, especially when you're drafting on day three. You know, you're drafting tools, you're drafting projects, you're hoping to make something work. And even that, I mean, Kevin Byard and Sippern are ahead of him on the depth chart anyway, so he doesn't need to be a guy who needs to be an immediate contributor. Right. Yeah. Unless, of course, one gets hurt, but fingers crossed on that one. Of course. Um, so I'm really not in love with Luke Falk. Um, I think. I think Falk is ultimately going to be a, uh, a practice squad kind of guy for, the, for at least the first year. He's a. He's a project, basically, at the end of the day. Um, yeah. He, he's, got, he's got a nice release, but he hasn't, he hasn't had that arm. Um, he really isn't accurate, um, especially on, like, the intermediate routes. Um, and I feel, like, I feel like most of the stats kind of – I mean, they got jacked up with, with Washington, basically – or Washington State, I'm sorry, basically throwing the, pa- the ball every down. Yeah, I think that was part of it, too. I know that he came into – he kind of came into the year with some expectations about him and this and that. And, you know, and he I had think a down year too. He did. He had a down year, which definitely didn't help. Some people were projecting him as a, 
I mean, I, I've seen him in some places in the first round. I, don't, I didn't really see that. but that, That's absolutely absurd. Yeah. Uh, not not now. I'm talking before the year started. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually yeah. think I had him in the first round. My mock in the game. Yeah, yeah. No, no, definitely not, not, not now. But I had seen yeah. him, you know, as a first rounder, you know, before the year. So, you know, there was some projection there, and he kind of flopped out. But you know what? You know, for Tennessee, you're only really looking at him as a long-term backup kind of guy. You know, you have your quarterback in place. Uh, that's That's the guy that you're building around. For the foreseeable future, that that's going to be your quarterback, and you know, folks, just the guy that you know you saw some decent value from, and you figured, you know, let's see, uh, let's see what happens here. I do, uh, I do respect him though as a savage because uh, not only did he take Alex Tanney's roster spot, uh, they cut the longtime backup after he was drafted. He took his jersey number. He's wearing number eleven. Um, I mean, that's just. I don't know if Alex Tanney's married he, he or got a dirty. girlfriend, but but she better watch out. Yeah, she's next, man. Like, Ooh. fellas, uh, this guy comes into your locker room, gets you cut, takes your jersey number. What do you do? <laughs> I don't know. I've got to ask Alex Tanya, I guess. So, what kind of sucks for me with Tennessee this year, though, is that um, I am really in fear that Mariota's going to miss a game or two, and we're going to have to deal with Yo Gabby Gabbert at quarterback. Yeah, Which, you know, he was compared to Matt Castle. I mean, this is like getting Tom Brady, but still not a guy I want to see doing anything but holding the clipboard for Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, here's my thing with backup quarterbacks. I don't think anybody wants to see, anybody wants to see the backup quarterbacks play. Like, they're backup quarterbacks for a reason. You know, like, unless your backup quarterback is, you know, unless it's week one, you, you know, you're the Jets, you have Josh McCown, and Sam Dahl's backup quarterback. What scenario is there where you ever want to see your backup quarterback? I mean, that's kind of why, like, I always didn't really see a ton of value in having back quarterbacks. But you know what? Coming off the, the year that we're coming off of, probably not uh, my strongest uh, strongest point right now. Like, you know, the Eagles, they lost uh, they lost once. And I, I kind of, let's say count them out. I, I thought they could still win some playoff games because I think their, their roster is excellent. But, but who would have thought they would have won the Super Bowl? I, yeah, I wouldn't have thought they, they could have won the Super Bowl. You know, I'll be honest. By the time they got to the Super Bowl, I said, yeah, I could see this. Because that team was just clicking on all cylinders. And honestly – and I probably didn't I, – I didn't see this coming. I, I admit to the first thing I did, but, man, Doug Peterson's a hell of a coach. The hell of a coach. Yeah. Ballsy as hell, too. And, I, you know, I got a ton of respect for that guy. That, that, that dude's – that guy's got some cojones. And he learned from uh, from Andy Reid also. Yeah. Because uh, I, I think yeah. he spent a year under Reid. Uh, no, no, as well he, as... he did. I just – it's funny to see say that like, he learned from Andy Reid because that guy made – that guy made some – He's got goals. a pair of brass ones on him. Yeah, that guy made some bigger goals than I don't think I've ever seen Andy Reid ever make. You know, like, so, you know, I mean. Well, I think the biggest call that Andy Reid ever made was um, the pizza delivery. No, no. I, don't, I don't even know what that story is. I know that um, when the Eagles changed owners a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, the owner wanted to meet with Andy Reid, so they had a dinner together. They went to the steakhouse in Philly. Andy okay. Reid ordered four fucking steaks. Is that real? Yeah, that's a power move, dude. Wow. Did he eat I mean, all four of them? Uh, probably. It's Andy Reid. It is Andy Reid. Um, but at the end of the day, Tennessee to me is a team who really made all the right moves this offseason. Um, they finally got rid of that fucking of a coach oh, in, uh, in Malarkey. I, I'm, I was actually really impressed because, you know, they won a playoff game. And a lot of times teams are very, very, like, just trying to, keep the flow going, you know, like, don't really want to, you know, ruffle, rattle a cage, ruffle some feathers, whatever the case is, but... Firing him was absolutely the right move. I, yeah, I mean, absolutely, you know, and, and you know what, to, to his credit, he wasn't terrible the year before. But you know what it is, though, and this is kind of my philosophy of certain things, when you run a gimmick offense, it's going to go great for that first year. When everybody has an entire offseason to study your tape, it's not going to work. The yeah, same way. I, I definitely. And that's what it was with Josh Nash. Like, I don't think he's a very flexible kind of guy. The same know. way with uh, with the Wildcat, uh, whenever that was like a huge deal for a year. Right. Um, right. Even even the read option. I mean, I think Russell Wilson is probably the only guy who can still run it and run it well. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that exhausts Nash mouth. I mean, they're trying to you know go against the grain by being a run first oriented team, um, and it worked the first year. But I think. Teams are figuring that out. They're also – I mean, he was calling ridiculously stupid plays between giving jet sweeps to Delaney Walker. Um, well, I mentioned it. You know you want to. Go ahead. Say it. Say it. Say it. Between insisting on 
DeMarco Murray being the lead back. Right, right. What's your favorite, what was your favorite bet call? Come on. Oh, I'm, I'm getting there. Don't oh, worry. Oh, come on. I want to hear it. Um, and Derrick Henry it was, was clearly the better back. Yeah, that was a comfortable watch. Like, you know, Murray, Murray's been a good player in the NFL for a long time. But yo, he looked like he was done last my year. My man's shot, yo. Like, let, let the guy go out with some dignity. Like, you see, you see him run and, and like, I think the if he was line, a racehorse, I would have taken him to the back of the barn and shot him by now. Sends the goo factor. Yeah, he's. You, you could see it though because you'd watch them and you'd think like, all right. I mean, I, I felt the offensive line kind of had a down year considering the talent on the team. So I, I definitely would argue that that contributed. But man, you, you know, you'd see him and he'd be terrible. Then Derrick Henry comes to the game and it'd be like, oh, uh, we're in the same place yeah, too. We can run the ball. <laughs> Wait, what? Like you see him running up and down and like, and I'm just like, man, how many times you gotta watch this until you like. You can't, and I'm not saying don't play Murray at all. I understand they liked him in the past game. I, I get all of that. That's fine. But, geez, give the other guy some touches. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And for the record, Nick is also a Derrick Henry owner in our Dynasty League. So, he yeah, that, especially screaming for that reason as well. I mean, I just, yeah. But, he also owned DeMarco Murray for a solid week as well. <laughs> I did. It was a whole week. I think, I, you, I think you literally played it for one game, and then you he played him for, right after. He played for one game, and I, I, I'm trying to – I think it was a Thursday night football game. Yeah, and then you, uh, you shipped away the David Johnson deal. No, no, no. He went, in, uh, he went for Julio. That's right, the Julio deal. Yeah, that's right. David Johnson deal was the other people. Um, I'm pretty sure he got a little hurt in that game, too. Uh, his right pride now. did, at least. He hurt his foot. I, he didn't miss any time, but he hurt his foot a little bit. And uh, I was able to move him. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I owned DeMarco Murray for one whole week. Um, and – Last but not least, and this is just this is just the kicker for me overall. Um, and this is like I got visibly angry when this happened. Um, Tennessee is playing the Cardinals. I think the score is like ten six or something really really low. Tennessee had the ball. There's less than a minute left in the game. It's fourth down. They have no more timeouts. I mean, this is this is it for Tennessee. They call a play where the feature receiver is cornerback Adoree Jackson, who rookie quarterback Dory Jackson, and the play call is a play that he didn't even practice. Like, are you shitting me, dude? I mean, you know, glass half full kind of perspective. Man, that's real balls, yeah? Yeah, but it didn't work. It's, you no, know it, it didn't work. You're right. It's, it's a genius idiot move. If that play worked and they scored or something like that, like, he looks brilliant for doing that. But when it doesn't work, you look stupid. Yeah. The same as, like, almost every time when you go for a fake punt and it doesn't work, you're like, you dumbass. Or when you're up by a couple points in the Super Bowl and instead of running the ball, you keep passing it um, and then you give it the lead. Uh, that would never happen. Uh, never. Or, or if you're on the one-yard line with the best running back in football and you pass it instead with the game on the line. Yeah, but they would never see that coming. Oh, never. Never. Uh, all right. Well, that's the uh, AFC South. Sorry this one's a little bit longer, but we just we had a lot of feelings for this, uh, yeah, a for this lot division. Of so many feelings. Yes. Uh, it's I'm I'm like it's my teen angst just it just, it comes back. Yeah, can't um, never get rid of it. Shout out to John Robinson for being the savior of our franchise. Um, I was really worried about keeping Malarkey and having to jump ship, which is something I would never do. But I think it was just at that point extenuating circumstances. But you did the right thing, and I'm proud of you. So thank you. All right, yeah. Have a good one. <laughs> Take care.